Hey there, party people. This is Queer Watching, coming at you from opposite coasts of the United States, here to talk about all things film and television with a queer lens. I am Jesse, here with my best pal, Brianna, and today we're talking about the 2022 Amazon Prime TV series, A League of Their Own, which is based off of the 1992 film with the same title. In order to split things up a little, today we're just going to talk about episodes one to four for A League of Their Own. This is your spoiler alert for all things <laughs> episodes one through four, as well as the film. We'll probably touch on the film it's based off of as well. So spoiler alert for both of those things. Um, and we'll kind of do an overall show synopsis here. So Leave Their Own is an American period sports comedy drama TV series co-created by Will Graham and Abby Jacobson. Uh, who is also one of the stars. It's an adaptation of the 92 film, like we said, um, but it's got new characters and new storylines. So you don't see any of your, your kit and Dottie or anything like that in this one. Um, and it's taking place during World War II when um, women's professional baseball became a thing because all of the men were at war. So the series premiered with eight episodes on August 12th, 2022. So Brianna, episodes one through four, what are your thoughts and feelings? I mean, I hands down just loved this, this show. I thought it was great. Um, I'd been on my list to watch for a while. And then when I was back in Washington visiting my mom, she was like, oh, have you heard of this show called A League of Their Own? And I was like, yeah, I have. And she was like, oh, I thought it was going to be a lot about baseball and like women's baseball. And I was like, yeah, like the movie. And she's like, yeah but it's pretty much just about gay women <laughs> and gay women having sex with each other. Like there's so much gay women. And I was like, I mean, it is softball slash baseball mom. And she's like, Oh, that's just a stereotype. And I was like, as a queer person who played <laughs> softball. Yeah. So I thought it was really, really cute that she was so taken aback or not taken aback, but caught off guard by the fact that it was predominantly queer women that were the, the main characters which was my main reason for watching it. And I think that was the thing that I liked the most, or one of the things I liked the most between these episodes and the movie is that the movie in 92 was completely scrubbed of anything queer. Yep. Um, there wasn't even any like insinuations um, other than Rosie O'Donnell being present, but I don't think she was out when that movie was made. <laughs> and her character was straight in that, in that movie. But yeah, I think it was a huge improvement uh, I find Abby Jacobson to be very funny, albeit very awkward. Um, oh, yes. But yes, I also really love that they included um, Max and Clans and just like the, the black baseball uh, storyline in general, because in the movie, all they have is one scene of a black woman throwing a ball during a game. And that's it. And so I really liked that we actually got a full thoughtful story out of those characters uh but before i continue jesse what were your immediate thoughts of it yeah i think i've watched the movie in the last year not super super recently but it is one of my favorite sports movies and i think watching the movie and then watching the show it's pretty clear that they wanted to take these things that weren't explored there and like really explore them right so um, I like it. It's it's a lot of the stuff that in theory was missing from the movie, but like in a in a modern times, I feel like you can you have more room to explore than you did in '92, or mm -hmm. you know at least <laughs> people are gonna throw money at it easier. So yeah, 
Yeah, I like it so far. The first four episodes so far, I think, have been a little bit slow-paced for me personally, so I do hope that it um, kicks up a little bit now that we know all of the characters, so that would be super cool. Um, I feel like first four episodes are more change-up speed, and I'm looking for more fastball speed. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to prepare myself for all these baseball references from you, and I? I also thought it was perfect timing that we're watching this because we are in postseason games for baseball okay. uh, and leading into the World Series. So I felt like it was a very poignant, poignant watch. Yeah. I you know why you're saying this? Because you are a Yankees fan. I am. You brat as a Mariners fan who yesterday lost <laughs> to Houston. Don't love you bringing this up, but thanks a bundle, Brianna. I'm just saying. I'm super excited. Go Yankees. Um, oh, after 18 innings, what a heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Mariners. Anyway. They tried. <laughs> One thing that I did want to focus, or not focus on, but mention about my overall thoughts just in general about the show was I hated the lighting. It has come to my attention that it might have just been my TV. I kept getting like filmmaker mode on, but even on the episodes where that wasn't on, I found the night scenes to be very dark and specifically like the night sex scenes. And I don't know if that was intentional um, because I definitely know they have come very far in lighting techniques. So I was really frustrated with the lighting in multiple of my episodes. I said, what the fuck's going on with the lighting? Um, but then it also showed me, based on the movies that we have reviewed so far, that queers can be good actors. Uh, everybody in every single episode did a phenomenal job. And I never was like, oh, you're acting. I was like really brought into the show by their performance. And it made me really happy. No, not just a little bit of shade. Do we know that these actors are queer? We know that some of them, Abby Jacobson is definitely queer. Okay. Um, the woman that plays or the person that plays Jess is queer. Um, the, so mm -hmm. uh, Kelly McCormick is queer. Um, Roberta Colindres is non-binary. Um, okay, so great. I know quite a few of them are queer. Okay. If we're talking about like who are we familiar with for this project before now, mm -hmm. I'm familiar with Darcy Carden because mm -hmm. she's Janet in the good place, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm familiar with Mandy from Last Man Standing. Uh let me find the actress's name. Molly Ephraim, something like that. Mandel. Yeah, Ephraim. Sure. Yeah. I clearly can't pronounce anyone's name ever, so that'll be a nice theme on the podcast. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, who plays Maybell? Um, yes. who you relate to, but like the exact same character. Like she's just yeah. being Mandy from Last Man Standing, which is fine. I think it's hilarious. She can do it, but so Neither of them, to my knowledge, are queer. So I, I just was <laughs> looking for some examples as well. Yes. Abby Jacobson is bisexual, and she was one of the stars of Broad City. She's also bisexual in that. Shantae Adams, I don't know, but she's a phenomenal actor in The Photograph and in Journal to Jordan or Journal for Jordan. If you haven't seen those movies, go ahead and watch them because out of this world, amazing. But I'm digressing. So yeah, I really liked that not only did we get quality writing, for these characters, because I also feel like that really contributes to the acting that's done. But then the actors, I feel like really connected with the characters, so they were able to deliver a really authentic performance. Yeah, I think the acting in this show is fantastic. I don't think that I have had any scenes where I thought that anyone was, I don't know, 
phoning it in or anything like that. I mean, kind of like I was mentioning with the, the actress that's also in Last Man Standing, I think some of them are playing similar, if not the same characters that they've played previously. But I still think they're all doing a great job and were cast appropriately because that character works here as well. Yeah. Yeah, including Abby Jacobson, to be honest. Yeah. I, I never really watched Broad City, but from the things I've seen and clips and mannerisms and all of that, it's still very <laughs> in her wheelhouse here. Yes, and you can tell that she is a writer for this show because it's very similar in the awkwardness and some of the humor of Broad City. There were oftentimes when uh, Carson, Abby's character, was on scene and I was like on my couch watching between my fingers because I was like, you are so awkward but that's because I have a very low tolerance for awkwardness and oh it makes me cringe I try to be open-minded but no yeah um, I was gonna say this for the end but I think I'm just gonna mention it here yeah. I actually think some of that modern humor takes away from the 40s tone that they're trying to establish a little mm. bit because I don't think that that would read funny in the 40s I honestly feel like a lot of the facial expressions happening would just not have some of the like snark <laughs> and stuff on their faces just would not have been a thing. Max makes a joke in the first episode or no, her mom says you made this joke about how she would light herself on fire if something happened. And like suicide is like a modern joke that we make because it's part of our culture now. Right. Like we understand that that's a thing that happens and like, it's very sad, but it's just like inbred, and but that wasn't more about, yes, much more discussed and like, people have an awareness hopefully but not in the 40s absolutely no so that's not a joke that would have been made so some of that modern humor I think takes away from the tone a little bit to me I do get that um I because but honestly I feel like you noticed it because you're a film person and you pay attention to that shit I <laughs> did not even think about that until you mentioned it and I was like okay yeah I guess I could see that because I was too busy laughing at those jokes and not thinking like, is this era appropriate? But I appreciate that like you're able to point that out because now it might stand out to me more during my rewatch. Yeah, and obviously this is a modern take. So it's mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. There's going to be modern stuff in there. Not all the language is modern. They try to use, they at one point use hubba hubba, which is a 40s term, one that my household likes to keep strong. But um... it's a great, great word <laughs> or great term. Yeah, so there are still some 40s language in it, but some of those scenes, yeah, they, they just stick out to me as very, very modern. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, should we go over each episode a little bit? Sure. I, I like the sound of that because I've got lots to say and lots of questions. Okay, fantastic. Um, so episode one is called Batter Up, and the kind of brief synopsis is due to the wartime shortage of men to play baseball, team owners test the idea of a women's baseball league. Through all the hard work, hard times, and hard balls, these ladies are not playing around. All right. Thank you, IMBD, for that mm -hmm. fantastic second line there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, this I episode opens and we meet Carson. Kind of like the film, small town girl, it looks like. Um, and she's essentially like going to catch that train no matter what, um, which I thought was a good opening. You know, mm -hmm. starting her journey with her. Yeah, and they did. Um, in the movie that there's actually that train scene as well but the conductor like helps them up and nobody's bra is just like all hanging out so I thought that was very Abby Jacobson because of course 
of course she would write that she runs into an awkward person she knows and she's like oh be there at the end the entire time and oh my god I thought it was so funny and I wrote down about the Jesus joke that she made in front of the nuns and I thought it was a she's like this is happening just let it happen just let it happen (laughs) I was waiting for the conductor to like push her out the door but it was it was great I do want to establish throughout this queer watching episode, we'll be talking a lot about sexism and a lot about racism. It might sound like we hate men and it might sound like, I won't speak for you. It might sound like I hate men. And I will say I hate a good portion of the men that are in this show. Um, And just the way that sexism and racism was displayed in this show brings up a lot of redundant and the same type of comments so just want to do that disclaimer Um, yeah some of the casualness with some of the sexism is like very alarming now it's just mm -hmm. like things are said matter of fact blown right by and I'm like whoa 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 (laughs) so yeah so many times I was like I know I know this world is still trash and thank god I was born when I was born because whoo um But when we go into the tryouts, I was immediately struck with nostalgia of when you and me tried out for for softball for, I think it was major leagues um, because it was eighth grade. uh, And I was, yes, it was eighth grade. So it wasn't major leagues. It was eighth grade. We were trying out for minors. No. Okay. So this is, so this is what I remember. We were, it was not for the. School team. It was for the rec team. And it was either you make minors or you make majors. Mm -hmm. And I was the last person to have a partner. So I was like throwing the coach and you were forced to come to tryouts and you were just all pissed and shit. And I had met you before, but like we weren't buddies yet. And the show made me nostalgic because there was a lot of really hard throwing and people being like, oh my God, ow. (laughs) And when we played catch, I was so excited to be interacting with you and you were annihilating my hand. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh my God. And I was like, immediate. I was like, that's Jesse. That is a hundred percent him. Vaguely remember this. There was a scene that reminded me of us. And it was when I think it's Maybell is talking like a mile a minute and just going on. <laughs> the blonde chick just turns her and goes, have you ever heard of shut the hell up? She finally just goes, yeah. Yeah. Sad little, okay, I guess I'm done. <laughs> kind of similar vibes. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm super excited and super talkative. Yes. I also <laughs> was not always the nicest to everyone back in the day. So, yeah. Good times. Good times. Oh, growth. There you go. Yes. Uh, and so we see them. We see them uh, trying out and throwing. And they're friggin' crushing it. Like... Some of the plays that they got, I also really liked. But then we have Maxine and Clance. <sighs> I love Clance. Walk onto the field. And we immediately just experience blatant racism. Yep. Um, where they will not let Max try out. And she has that amazing throw that goes all the way into the stands. And they're like, no, you still need to get out. Uh, they even use the lines of like, we're an American team motherfucker 
Yeah, it's clearly a race thing because it's she shows that her ability is not part of the problem, right? She throws it from like center field to home plate without like mm-hmm. blinking an eye, like into the stands behind home plate, I think. So yeah, clearly very talented and has absolutely nothing to do with her ability or her drive or anything like that. It's clearly all racism. The conversation that was before was the guy who told her that she could not play was walked up to the Cuban uh, player and was like, come on, come on, you're from Cuba. The inter- or the, the newspaper wants to interview you. So clearly it's not about being American. In the song that they sing throughout the show, they name the different countries that are on this team and they say but we're all american and i'm like okay but all of those people are white and we can even get into talking about the white latinas that are allowed to be on the team and how the only reason why they're allowed to be on the team is because they are they are white presenting and if they had been afro latinas they also would not have been allowed to play yes i thought the show did a very intentional job being like, here's this and here's this. Look at the two different ways that they are presented here, right? So it's it's not really about this. It's all about racism and white mm-hmm. pa- white passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I thought that it was very poignant in that you had this white man that was saying, you can't come and be on our team. But then not a single woman stood up and advocated uh, not a single white woman stood up and advocated for these players and that to me was just the perfect example of how white women benefit from racism and if you were to translate that to today's world of like not risking your privilege or your comfort in order to support or live or help to liberate marginalized folks but being like i'm an ally yeah, I think that there are a bunch of examples of this. They're just in the the next couple episodes, so I'm sure we'll come back to this. Absolutely. I also really liked the idea of respectability politics that come up um, for like how people are going to, or like how the characters are going to be acting, um, and like how the black characters, Max and Clance, can't really show any kind of anger. They have to be composed um, specifically in front of the people that have the power to put them on the team. But then the, the, the white players have to be composed in front of their audience. And so they can be kind of like express their anger in front of their coach and in front of their, their chaperone, but like not in front of the people that are going to be paying. Yeah. It's two different levels. Yeah. I mean, so we see Greta and Carson, so Darcy, Carden, and Abby Jacobson. Like, I mean, getting those names in there. Yeah, good job. Um, kiss, right? That was the first episode. Sorry, it's kind of all blurring, but that was the first episode, right? Yeah? Okay. Yep. And then immediately, Greta leaves to go be with another man. So just talk about all of the mind games that winds up happening with that but one of the things I wondered was is it is it shame was it to prove a point that like she could get Carson to kiss her um or like did she just want to have sex with a guy because sometimes you want to bang on a sure thing and like I get that and it's safer to do it with a man back then but like it brought up a lot of questions for me 
yeah, I think it's established later that she does it because of these rules, which we kind of learn are the things that just keep them safe and make it feel like they can be queer in this world. As long as we follow these rules, then we can live our, our secret queer lives over here as long as we do this over here. So, yeah, I found it confusing in the end of episode one because we didn't really know why. But later when she's like, after I find someone I, you know, kind of would like to be with, I try to make sure I go out and I'm seen with a man. That mm-hmm. way there's some piece of evidence that can contradict this thing were it ever to come out or, uh, you know, be used against me in any way. So, yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, at the time, it obviously wasn't safe. This is pre any queer rights groups that we see like later in the late 50s. So they they got to do what they got to do. I mean, it kind of reminded me, or not reminded me, but made me think about like what rules or what precautions did we have for ourselves? Like when we were first coming out and um, like where we felt like we could be visible, where we felt like we couldn't be visible. Um, and I was wondering if you felt any like connection with that. Yes. Yes. Quite a bit, actually. I remember right after coming out, it was like all kinds of filters, right? Okay. Like this information's okay here, but not here. Make sure that so-and-so doesn't find out because we don't know how they'll react or like no one's had this conversation with so-and-so, right? So yes, tons of rules, if you will, to like make sure that in my case, more, no one was uncomfortable or I didn't risk relationships. It was obviously not to the same uh, caliber as this, right? Like you can go to jail, you can lose your career. It's This is the ramifications here are much more intense than any rules and situations of my own. But yeah, I definitely had a whole bunch of rules, mm-hmm. especially when I first came out. And honestly, still a little bit, right? Like I am incredibly privileged in that I pass very well. So it's it's up to me whether or not I, I choose to tell people that I'm trans. And so like, I don't really disclose that at work. So it's not a rule, if you will, but there are still, you know, places where you choose to develop some of this or not. Yeah. And I mean, I know that the way in which it was criminalization was enforced in the forties was different uh, from when we came out, but when we came out, it had uh, originally just like within our sexualities, it had only been legal to be outwardly gay or queer for five years. Cause I came out in 2009 and you did too, right? Yeah. And it was decriminalized or legalized in 2004. So we weren't too far off of living in a world where our sexualities were criminalized, would not have been met typically with the same type of violence that we do see here, but still, I think important to note that we weren't too far off. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're pretty lucky with our friends and family, like legalities aside, at least a chunk of them would have been like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to turn you into the cops. Right. We won't call you an invert and, you know, have shame when we talk about you or try not to talk about you, which we see from Max's mom later. Right. So mm-hmm. some of that stuff, very fortunate that that wouldn't have been our experience. Yeah. When they use the word invert, I was like, wow, I have not heard that in so long. Cause like I studied psychology. So we learned it there and learned that that's what it used to be referred to as, but I was like, really good job using the language of the time yeah i feel like deviant would have been the other one that would have been appropriate here this is about the same time as that you'll see sexual deviant and some of the different writings and and accounts of 
stuff going on here, like some of the military queer stories you hear or whatever. So, yep, that word stuck out to me a whole bunch as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're obviously not using queer the way we use it in a modern way either. So <laughs> it's different. It's, it's different. very different. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have the same reclamation then that it does now. Right. Yeah, I'm sure Smear the Queer was still being actively played. Yes, it is still actively played today in some areas, but like not as widespread. Yep, totally. So any other specific episode one thoughts or do you have thoughts that you're bursting to share about episode two? I think just one theme that is true in every single episode is poor max um that's Mm. my biggest (laughs) honestly my strongest theme through every episode um is poor fucking max because i'm relating a lot to max you know obviously i'm a white guy so it's not exactly the same but just some of her desires and like trying to persevere when everyone's like yeah this isn't for you you know this isn't for you yeah cool well um let's bump on to episode two uh which is called mind the gap and kind of brief synopsis max and clans prepare for a housewarming party Max asks Gary for an unusual favor. The Peaches meet their coach and stumble through the league's charm school. And Carson struggles to figure out how to react to her new connection with Greta. I did not pay attention to the episode titles. Uh, And now after you're reading them and reading descriptions, I'm like, maybe I should have. Uh, (laughs) Because I didn't know this one was called Mind the Gap. And I think that's really funny. Because I live in New York City and everywhere in the subways, there's like mine or there's like mind the gap, mind the gap. But I don't think they're talking about public transportation. Here. I don't think so. No, I think they're talking about and I'm curious what you think, but like the gap between women and men and navigating this historically male dominated sport and how to package yourself as super feminine and non-threatening but also really good at baseball, like teetering on both. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think that's exactly, I think it's it's like a baseball pun, right? You can have different gaps where you're playing the field and you need to fill those in as to not get a single or double, things like that. So it's a little bit of a double meaning situation. But yes, I think the bigger and honestly, even with the show, more in your face meaning is exactly what you're talking about. There's a gap between men and women. It is real. It is present. And we need to keep it in place. So mm-hmm. we got to be mindful of that huge sexist gap that we have and would love to maintain, even though we're giving y'all a shot or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Didn't even think about the baseball aspect. I swear to God, I did play for like <laughs> 10 years. And as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense too. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. <laughs> An example of exactly what we're talking about are the uniforms, those skirt uniforms. Oof. Would you have played no. if you had to wear a skirt? Boy, okay. I would like to say no, but I don't actually know. I, okay, because later <laughs> they get to say out loud, we're playing professional baseball tomorrow. And if someone said, okay, you can say this and this is true, but this is your uniform. I honestly don't know what I would choose. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Like these women are in the baseball hall of fame. Yep. And very few women, very few people get to say that. Uh, but it's like 
at the risk of having to downplay and essentially dissociate yourself from parts of yourself in order to let this part that has never been given a chance thrive. And that dissociation would be so difficult because it is constant badgering with these ideas, right? They talk about like they want to make sure they don't lose their feminine refinement. They have terms like we need to show eight to 10 inches of calf because that's what an American woman like is supposed to do. All of these things. And it's constant. The whole charm school situation, nauseating. So it's a lot. Which not for nothing, it was way more than eight to 10 inches of calf because then that means no fucking thigh. I was like, these skirts for this time period are really short, but they were also that short in the movie. So I wonder if that's actually how short they were. But I was like, there's much more than just calf showing. But per the, or re the makeup scene or the the charm school scene, uh, we see one person not be allowed to stay because she's given too much snark, too much mouth, too much resistance. Yep. And then they almost try and take Jess. And I was like, no! Yeah. I, I liked her, even though we barely got to know her. Thank um, goodness for friends, right? Who swoop in and are like, oh my gosh, she was helping us. That's why hers isn't done. We'll get her all dolled up. And, you know, they obviously know it's comfortable, but they get it done. Exactly. Like, and I think that's what potentially makes it easier to navigate this like really difficult space these people have to exist in is having other team members that don't want to be there but are willing to help you through it. Yep. I did find it interesting uh, that the woman who was the first, like the woman who ran the charm school was one of the first in this show, uh, multimillionaires. And she referred to charm school as like the price of admission into their world. But in this scene, she is essentially forcing these women to pay the price that she paid. And so who gets to choose what price you pay for admission into this world? And like her price was too high for some people or for some of the girls. And so I just, I thought that was a very interesting dichotomy. To be super honest with you, I would have been the one whose mouth got them sent home day one. That would have 100% been me. So mm-hmm. I clocked myself immediately. I was like, oh, that there I go. Yep. You're like, I see me walking away now. Yep. <laughs> yep. I didn't put on makeup and I'm going to sass you. Okay, bye. <laughs> but I also think you... See, I, I might actually disagree with you because you're not great at sassing like people that you're not comfortable with. And so, or like people that you, like, you have to get to a certain level of emotion before you'll just like let your tongue fly. I feel like you'd buddy up with somebody and then you would just sass their ear off. And then we would get in trouble because we're laughing at everything you're saying. And then I'd still be the person to be like, no, 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 no. Um, they, they were helping me with my makeup. And I would, I would save your ass because that would be what you owed me for just making me laugh all the time. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of my elementary school report cards would say things like, like positive, positive, positive things, but talks back too much. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that's where that comes from. But yeah, I was comfortable with those teachers (laughs) to be able to be like, "Um, this is why you're wrong, which I'm sure was delightful for them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So delightful. 
Um, so refocusing a little bit on a league of their own, yes. there was um, a part of this episode that really, well, okay, two, one, because it broke my heart, but one, because of, I need you to help me understand it. So we'll go with this one first. So we have Lupe, who is a, a Mexican pitcher for the team, but they decide to call her the Spanish striker. And when did they say she was Mexican? Um, when she introduces herself. I believe it's established that she's Mexican. Okay. Yeah, no, she's definitely Mexican. Um, but they call her the Spanish striker and the owner of the team says in the stands, uh, Spanish goes down easier than mm-hmm. Mexico is what he says. I don't understand this because it's 1943 Mexico joined the war in 1942, so they are fighting alongside us against Germany and Japan. Mm-hmm. Spain is over in Spain being like, we can't decide, we're neutral, we're pulling mm-hmm. to Sweden. So I'm just confused about why this. I got you. I got you. And I'll do it super quickly. Because racism. There you go. Because your example was Mexico was fighting in the war with us. Black people were fighting in the war with us and they were still sequestered to their own barracks, to their own platoons, didn't get the same benefits and all of that stuff. Spain is in Europe. So it is close as like as white as you can get while still not being English speaking. And so and passing as white as she did or as white as uh, Lupe did distanced her from her Mexican heritage because people still didn't like the fact that Mexicans were coming up and taking the jobs and doing the agriculture work like that all was still there. And so calling her Spanish was just easier than calling her Mexican. That makes sense. So it's an immigration and proximity thing. Yes. Yeah. Also gross. I think my history brain was like, this does not compute. <laughs> Mexico is doing everything we would like them. I don't what? <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the closer you are to, or the further you are away from whiteness, the less American you are and the less uh, America wants to be associated with you. Oh, America. This is America. Do you have thoughts you want to talk about before I rant about the heartbreaking scene? Uh, no, I just want to make sure we touch on Nick Offerman. But after your heartbreak. Tell me more. Tell me more. After my heartbreak. So when Clance and Max are trying to prep everything for the party, stressful stuff, they're running out of time. They desperately go into the white grocery store Mm -hmm. and they go up to the counter and they just say, sir, and he refuses to fucking acknowledge their existence. I just started crying. I could not handle it. She was so desperate and so polite. And all she wanted was some fucking crab. And he wouldn't even give her the time of day. And I just, uh, the racism in the show that I'm sure was very real. Like, it's so difficult to watch. Because Mm -hmm. as we get to know them as characters, we just, we love them so much. They're so nice. They're so hardworking. And I just, I'm so bothered. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you and I are very fortunate that, like, we live in bubbles where we don't have to witness that type of racism every single day, but that racism still exists. There are still places that 
Black folks will not go to because of things like that, because they know they're going to be upcharged, because they know they won't get good service. And it it made me very, it made me sad, but then also infuriated because I just wanted to punch the guy. But then I also was frustrated with Carson yep. because we do see Max go back in because Max is like, no, fuck this. I can't, I can't watch my best friend like suffer like this. I'm going to go back in and I'm going to deal with this racism. I'm going to get him to give us what we want. And then she runs into Max. No, great. Nope. Carson. There we go. I was going to get there eventually, which in the last episode, we didn't say this, but Max saw Greta and Carson making out. Yep. So Max has this little nugget as kind of like leverage. She sees Carson and is talking. And then of course the white butcher is like, is this woman bothering you? And she's like, no, no, she was here first. And I had to remind myself that like that probably passed as activism and support for that relationship in that day. But what I wanted to see because of the time period I live in is I will take my business someplace else if you refuse to serve her. Like I wanted a little bit more forcefulness, but again, the time context. And so I was happy that she got the crabs and that she could use that beginning relationship to kind of get what she needed, but it was still a very difficult scene to watch. Yeah, I mean, ultimately they do get the crabs, but not without a whole bunch of help from the white privilege. Can we just call it crab? I I regret adding the S, and now it sounds like a venereal disease. It's crabs. Got it. (laughs) I hate it. That's all right. Maybe this description will be, we talk about crabs over and over again. (laughs) This last episode. I don't know. Apple Podcast might edit it out. I think crabs should be safe, but let's mm-hmm. test it and see. Any more thoughts on episode two? Yeah, I really love Clance and Guy. Mm, yes, they're cute. I love their relationship. And I also don't think we mentioned this in the first episode, but I also love that Clance is into comic books. And not just Same. into them, like, that is her baseball. And it very much made me think of you, Jesse. And, like, I love that they specifically chose to show a Black woman who loved comics. Cool, yes, because I I have some thoughts about the comics, too. I really like that she banters about them with the neighborhood boys that are, like, five to seven, like, clearly super young. So it's, like, an adult married woman who's making her house and going back from the grocery store and work and her job. And they're bickering about comic plot lines, like, two, like, six-year-old black boys. It's so funny because, like... That's your, you're the demographic you think of, right? Like, these are for children. And she's just like, no, these are for everyone. And I love mm-hmm. that. I love yes. that. Other thoughts on episode two? Nick Offerman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's a dick. <laughs> when we do, I mean, Nick Offerman, you're a great human being. I'm sure I love you. But in this show. Dove, yeah. Dove is a dick. Um, and they're fangirling over him when he comes down. And I wrote, if Paul O'Neill or Derek Jeter were to have been my coach, I would have just lost my fucking shit. So I did get it. I would have been tripping over myself. But I think we really see the toll that he took on the team. And we see the toll that he specifically took on the Spanish striker. Lupe. On Lupe. And no spoiler alerts, but like that does shape her storyline. And her and 
her relationship with Carson for a while. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do start to see that in episode four when he's not there anymore. They're trying to coach together and they can't see eye to eye because they both have two different takes on kind of a mm-hmm. Lupe's was, role on the team, if you will. Yeah, and it was very much on brand with the movie. Tom Hanks, I have never hated you more in a role than the role you played. Your chewing was disgusting. You took credit for things the team did when you were passed the fuck out drunk. You threw dirt in a woman's face you were trash and nick offerman brought that similar energy but like we don't find that out until a little bit later in episode two i believe we first see him kind of being mean yeah his is like more of a slow burn dislike i feel like whereas tom hanks we hate from the start right i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure we meet him and he like pees for a whole minute and it's just it's not it's two different intros, right? And to me, they are pretty different characters. I think Tom Hanks has like a bitterness that's much more out there than Nick Offerman's here. He seems to just like not give a shit. He's not mm-hmm. angry. He just truly doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And those are those are two. Those are very different. And yeah, I kind of like that because it shows that the show is not trying to like be exactly like the movie because the relationship wise for everyone there's no like mirror images you don't have that gina davis tom hanks relationship at all going on at least in the first four episodes you don't have sisters or even like really close best friends i don't think but i feel like you do like with Dottie and tom hanks when they were competing for like the coaching-esque type you Mm -hmm. do have that a little bit let me just confirm. Yes, because in episode three, Carson stands up to Dove and is like, no, like you need to start acting like our coach. And I'm pretty sure at some point Dottie yells, like, then start acting like it. Um, so you do kind of have a little bit of that, but I think it goes I think it goes further in this in the TV show. Because they have more time to develop it. Yeah. I guess to me, I would never would have described in this show dove and carson as friends there is the scene where he like offers her some tobacco and takes her cards and seems to want to use them but none of that really reads friendship to me in the way that gina davis and tom hanks were like clearly good friends by the end of the movie to me this is okay just i feel Jesse's like maybe take. we had different please, yeah, yeah different please. takes but i don't i don't Tell know me. how i would consider them to be friends i think he just stopped being a dick and mm. Kind of, kind of like when he's holding in his anger, that was hysterical. When he's trying not to yell at the person who plays Sharona in Monk. Um, yes, shout out to her. She's amazing. It was very, very funny. The person who keeps missing the cutoff man. So in the original film, A League of Their Own, when he is talking to Gina Davis and he gives what is my favorite scene about it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. To me, that is a conversation you can only have if you are truly friends with someone. Really? You don't feel like that would just be a coach comment? I guess it could be, but I just, the way that it all goes down to me is, is very friendship, right? He's saying like, I can't believe you're giving this up because of how important it is. And he's saying that because it's important to him too. Mm. Like they, they have this bond over how important and passionate they are about this now, not at the beginning from Tom Hanks, but now and i don't know to me i just read it as a friendship maybe that's a misread by me this maybe is good. it's a misread by me i don't know 
Um, also multiple interpretations, right? That's okay. Yeah, that's why Maybe no one's misreading. <laughs> that's why the stuff's good. I do want to make sure for episode two, we talk, or at least we give space for, because we're introduced to Max's mom's uh, hair salon and like the importance that that played in her life. And I believe this is the episode where she talks about the fact that like, she believes the only reason why the bank gave her the loan is because they thought she was a man. Yep. And just like the importance of owning your own business, especially as a black woman at that time, especially as a woman at that time. And like that, that was a safe space for other like black folk to get ready for the revival and like just to exist and catch up on gossip and stuff. And how throughout the show, we see um, the ways in which that relationship continues to unfold, not just the relationship with Max and her mom, but also the relationship of Max and the store. And it's also... I I picked up on it like when the preacher's wife walked into the into the salon and it was a little bit awkward. I was like, oh, there's something. And then they start kissing and I was like, she's queer, she's queer, she's queer. But I couldn't tell because the lighting was so fucking awful. That's very so. intuitive of you. I did not pick up on it at all. I was just like, oh, cool, whatever. And then when she came to the salon later, obviously once they started kissing, I picked up on it. But yeah, I... Oh no, the the, the energy given from Shantae Adams changed as soon as that person walked in. And it was like subtle enough that unless you were like looking at her, you wouldn't notice. And again, I think that speaks to needing to hide her identity because her mom was around. So she needed to be essentially stealth. But I think it, it gave a look into two very important things in that episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think the salon is a safe space for black folks is a great, great call out there. Yeah. It's important for the show to have that, especially if we're going to have black plot lines. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice to have one. That's not just the church mm-hmm. that um, it's important in the show and to the characters, but it is nice to have that not be the only space. I can't wait for us to come back to this. Okay. <laughs> Pinning that. So we don't say more episode three, take us away with the synopsis, Jesse. All right, episode three is called The Cutoff. Do you think that might be another baseball reference, Brianna? Yes, I was like, jeans? No, it's definitely a baseball (laughs) reference. All right, and synopsis is during the church revival, Max faces a tough choice while Clance wrestles with her own secret. The Peaches must band together to improve their game. Carson and Greta try to be friends, and Lupe struggles with her loyalty to Dove. I'm trying to think of why it's called The Cutoff, but okay. So I think this is where we start to see them actually practice. And I think one of the things they actively practice, right, are cutoff people. So could be some of that. To me, the cutoff, if if it was interpreted as like cutting something off and ripping the Band-Aid, Max is at the end when she finally like cries and tells her mom, hey, I I got this job, which she knows is going to break her mom's heart because her mom wants her to be in the salon with her. That could be it, you know, that kind of ripping the Band-Aid thing. Another mm-hmm. heartbreaking scene because mm-hmm. you got to do it, but you know it's going to hurt them. This was the scene or this was the episode where, mind you, I watched this two days ago, so I'm sorry, y'all, that I don't have the best of memory. But, like, this was the episode where her mom took her to the store and showed her the the light that was, like, her name and, her, and Max's name. Yep, that fancy neon sign for the 40s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And... I feel like that's also a little bit of what I was alluding to in episode two, that like Max's relationship with the salon 
changes because she does recognize like everything it's given her family, everything it's given her, but that like she as a person has outgrown it because she is shifting from the idea of who she is that her mom has for her into the idea of who she is for herself. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't, I wish I could elaborate more on that, but like nailed it. I have underlined a couple of lines, uh, things that were said during, I didn't get the preacher, preacher's wife's name. So I'm just going to refer to her as the preacher's wife, but her and Max, I believe are in the salon again or are somewhere. And the preacher's wife stops Max from making a move or doing something. And she goes, I'm normal. Stop. And the idea that like back then people believed being queer was not normal. And people even believe that now, but like such internalized hate for queerness um, is always difficult to witness. And it breaks my heart because I know that like, that's a way of thinking that some people have to have in order to survive, which then for me brought up the question is it a privilege to be able to live your life how you want or does it bring other challenges? Mm, yes. <laughs> yes to both. Yeah, it's a tough question. I feel like that's a, a question queer people have asked themselves forever with it being not widely accepted and for a long time not legal. That's those are your options, right? You either have to stay so far in the closet no one suspects or find a way to navigate it that doesn't get you in trouble. Yeah. The struggle between living authentically and sacrifice and like the love and support of your family. And that brings up for me a term in psychology, uh, cognitive dissonance, where essentially like two things in one's life is out of sync, whether it is how you feel or your morals and then something that's going on in your life and those things being in conflict, humans are not designed to sustain for long terms. Long terms can be defined as however in this situation. And so one, it's either going to have to go one way or the other. You're either going to have to choose to live authentically and risk losing your family, or you're going to have to choose your family and always weighing the the pros and cons and like what that brings for your life is is really difficult. Yeah, I'm hoping that the show takes this Aunt Birdie character that we meet in actually the next episode and and does something with her because right now we have kind of younger examples of some of this queerness, right? And it would be super cool if we could see a older maybe like you've tried to live your way this way for a while how has that gone example here so i am mm-hmm. hoping we get to know a little bit more about that mm-hmm. so um, the fourth episode is where we physically see birdie but we hear max's parents mention birdie in like episode three or two right over like a letter or something like that okay yeah but yeah like different representations of queerness because again queers did not just pop up in like 1943 Absolutely. Queers are also not just in softball and, you know, the screw factory. They're all over the place. The military is actually full of them as well. I I wasn't sure when, you know, because of the time period, if we were going to have anyone, you know, on one of those plot lines as well. But they didn't let women into the military at the time, so probably not. Mm. But I did Google this because Beverly, the team chaperone, is a Marine. And in 1943, the Marines allowed women 
to serve. White women, I imagine. A hundred percent. I don't know if I have a ton to talk about episode three. I want to talk about Shirley a little bit, maybe. Talk about Shirley. Shirley with her can't eat out of cans, botulism, queerness is contagious. Yeah. Awkward energy. Shirley as a character is a roller coaster. The when we first meet her, I was like, oh, she's too needy. I hate her. And then because she can't be alone, right? Everything she does, she's like, Will you come with me? Will you come with me? Will you come with me? I shouldn't be Rude. alone. Will you come with me? Okay, but like I like to do things with people. Okay. There is a way to do it when it's like for safety, I feel like. And like that's important, right? I'm not trying to knock any of these things, mm-hmm. but like peeling off to grab one thing at the grocery store i don't know there's you're an adult shirley you need to do the occasional thing on your own i'm so sorry but like maybe at least let's work on it be aware maybe her attachment style doesn't allow her to go do it (laughs) okay (laughs) i won't psychoanalyze this character i promise but yes i think she is designed to bring a lot of conflicting feelings for us. Yeah, especially when we get to where she's like calling people out for being queer or she makes that weird backhanded compliment on the bus about Joe having aftershave, if you know what I mean. It's like, um, I think we do, but also what the fuck is the point of saying that? Yeah, Shirley's been a roller coaster. There were certain moments where I was like, she's hilarious, I love her. But ultimately I've concluded with, I think I hate her. I don't, okay, I'm just gonna say... She continues to be a roller coaster. It is a <laughs> Fantastic. lot. And Fantastic. I, there are many characters in this show that when I started, I was like, cool, here's my solidified opinion. And then when I ended, I was like, I did not see that coming. I have a totally different opinion. Um, but I think that is really important to potentially set up a second season. Oh, yeah. They're doing a second season of this. It's already been established. I believe they're trying to start production the next two months. Yep, so TBD on release dates, but yeah, there will be a second season. And episode three is where we do get the speech that you already talked about a little bit, where Carson calls Dove out mm. and tells him, like, he kind of says, like, well, what do you want from me? And she says, a coach would be nice, but if you can't be that, then stop standing in our way. And that was just, like, the perfect way to say all of that, right? Like, mm-hmm. ideally, you do this, but if you can't do that, stop hindering us because that's all he's been doing is making terrible decisions that work against them. Mm -hmm. They went into their first game, never having practiced. I'm sorry. I'm not a coach, but I know better than that. Come on now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wrote down the theme of kind of like living a double life. Like on the one hand, we have Max who's working at the factory and the salon um, and still practicing. And then we have the team that's practicing with the coach and then practicing by themselves. Uh, And at this point we see, a true division between Lupe and Dove and then the rest of the team. Like they intentionally leave Lupe out of these practices. And I think their their decision was because of the way she responded to, I think it was Carson trying to get her to be relieved because she was in pain because of how uh, she was trying to pitch because of Dove. Yeah, I did feel a little bad for Lupe when she went down to breakfast and there was nobody there. That can't feel good. We do also get introduced to... Sorry, did you have anything else to say about that part? Nope, go for it. Okay. We do also get introduced physically into Carson's husband. 
Charlie. Okay, mm-hmm. I like I completely yeah. blanked on his name. Which I feel like I want to circle back briefly to talk about the letter that mm-hmm. Greta and Carson first write in. I think the first episode. Yes. Yeah. When they get drunk. Yeah. And lol, that sounds totally like something I would do. Like a me drunk and Casey just drunkenly writing on the ground, and be like, "Yeah, let's mail it." And then the next day, be like, "Oh my god, so many regrets." Um, but we see her, or we see him. And then we see him in a wounded soldier ward. Yeah. And I wrote, why is he in the wounded soldier ward? Like, what's what's wrong? What's going to be this story? Yeah, the bed next to him was empty. So I wasn't sure if that meant, like, he had been there with a friend. Mm. That might be reading too much into that empty bed next to his. But from what we can tell, he's in uniform. Doesn't have anything bandaged. Like, the typical visual cues of someone being injured were not there you know he wasn't mm-hmm. limping or anything like that so i'm not sure i can't tell if that empty bed is what we're supposed to pick up on or if we're just mm-hmm. supposed to have questions like we do yeah and then the last thing with the with the war was clance's husband gets drafted and i think we are led to believe that that's why she passed out yep that's her secret anxious and yep. and yeah because i wrote does she have cancer of course i went to like <laughs> worst possible scenario yep. yeah um, but it was so cute. He got the egg from Max's dad to practice being a parent. I love Max's dad. Huge fangirl. Oh, yeah. Max's dad is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought that this episode left us with a lot of questions for the next episode. Which I'm pretty sure opened with that ridiculous commercial. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah, I had a hard time taking Nick Offerman seriously without facial hair. But Yeah, like why are his lips so small? I'm sorry, I really have a thing about super thin upper lip. Like that's why you should have a beard. Sorry, that was probably rude, but that's just my thought. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the tail end of episode three ends with what I would deem the least sexy part of this entire show, which is where she bursts in and talks about the rash that she has and she wants her hopefully soon to be lover to check out which obviously is not what specifically she says but she's like oh you have a rash maybe you could come look at it not sexy not sexy (laughs) i very much agree (laughs) all right so that takes us into episode four called switch hitter and uh the peaches go on the road and are forced to work together in a whole new way clance faces a new life including a new job at the screw factory and max finally gets the opportunity that she's been waiting for or so says the description (laughs) uh yes and as you said this one has the black and white intro that's the commercial for the team it's trying to get those butts in seats at the peaches baseball stadium there Mm mm-hmm and I thought that was a good homage to the movie. So I'm assuming that that was probably something that they actually did to get butts in seats. Cause I think it'd be interesting. Or I thought it'd be interesting that they would do it in both movie or both movie and show and not have it be a thing in real life. And it, Oh no, was not a fan. Why weren't you a fan? Because they don't do that shit for men. Men are not, or like for major league baseball, they're not like, Oh, and he is a really good gardener. I don't even know what they would do for a man. He's really good at shaving. He's never nicked himself. Can chop wood. on a tree. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, like just thinking about the most, like the epitome of masculinity. And they don't have these men doing that because 
they don't care about their gender representation. They don't care about their sexuality. They're not worried about people wanting to have sex with them. They're there to play ball. But the women have to uphold their sexual prowess and their desirability. So they have to do these commercials. And it's disgusting. Agreed. They literally say in the commercial, but they still have time for their true feminine passions, which I screamed at the TV. Yeah, baseball. <laughs> That's their freaking passion. That's why they're doing this. That's why they're on the team. When they showed them knitting in the dugout, I was like, I know why you're doing this. I see this, but I hope to cut none of you are knitting. Get your head in the game, people. What is this? <laughs> the very end of this commercial ends with the patch that we've seen in the first three episodes and as kind of it's kind of like the intro to the show if you will it runs through a bunch of colorful patches that are similar to the ones they would have had on their jerseys at the time but this fourth episode is just one still black and white of that same patch so that kind of stood out to me i wasn't sure if we were supposed to read into it a bunch and look at this as some kind of turning point maybe before there is it's colorful maybe there's some ambiguity or diversity but not with this one not now everything is black and white i didn't notice and so i don't really have an opinion on that um i don't remember when it came so i don't know if it was just supposed to be part of the commercial but i do like that it grabbed your attention and made you think because i think that's what good tv should do and there are some changes that we see here that depending what happens in the last four episodes could could be the start of some change max has finally told her mom hopefully we'll see some change on max's trajectory here the peaches are no longer in last place we're we're moving on up hopefully i believe coach dove is is gone or about to be so there are some things going on some changes that might be long term and and are that pivot point here we'll see Mm -hmm. it's just a little hard to know um with where we're at in the series Mm-hmm. There was one scene that I absolutely loved when Max and Clance are walking down the street and Max has got her first paycheck, finally some money that she earned that's not from her mom. And Clance mm-hmm. is like, look, though, you can go get yourself a beautiful dress. She holds up some kind of fashion magazine and Max barely looks over and goes, no, I'm good. And I was just like, yes, thank you. Big relate. <laughs> yep. Big relate. My biggest yeah. complaint was that the sex scenes are too dark but again i just had a problem with the lighting that's your complaint the lighting was so bad it was so bad i didn't catch that little dismissal but that sounds adorable i did also like the scene right after where she takes that money and sits down in her mom's kitchen and tries to request some eggs and she already knows how it's gonna go right her mom's pretty pissed at her for taking the job and her mom's like only paying customers. So she starts slapping down money, right? I got your rent right here. Got your money for eggs right here. Like, take me seriously. Clearly a, a play to gain some respect. And I, you know, she at least gained mine in that moment. I, I'm not sure it went awesome with the mom, but there might have been some respect building. It's a little hard to tell because the mom leaves the room. But part of me still feels like she was like, all right, I see you. All right. All right. I see you. In that scene, I wrote Max's dad is the best because then after I forget exactly what he says and he's like, but I mean, if you're willing to pay rent and she was like, uh-uh, not unless <laughs> yeah. you've got re- eggs. That's right. Like, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah. Just it just so shows cute. how, yeah, how adorable the two of them are together. The scene where they're having cigars in his truck, I was like, oh my gosh, you're just the best of friends and cutest father-daughter relationship ever right here. 
He mm-hmm. clearly understands what it's like to have a dream and want to hang on to it later when him and the mom are talking and he just he says that to her right he's like haven't you had a dream and not wanted to let it go i don't understand why i have to take that away from her right now right he doesn't even say never or like she's gonna 100 do it she can be the first one whatever he's just like i don't understand why i have to take this away from her right now mm-hmm. i can't tell if your face is like just wait no i think i think what they do character development wise with the idea of dreams with the idea of when it's appropriate or necessary for black folk in this time period to give up their dreams and to focus on reality is a really important narrative that they weave into this show and into the character growth Um, and so i do understand where the dad is coming from and I like side with him more but that's because I'm pro never killing dreams and I hate racism and sexism in the world that we live in but I also truly get where Max's mom is coming from even though I do not necessarily agree with her delivery but again I'm not a black woman who's a mother who's trying to protect her black daughter in the 1940s so I don't know if I can really critique that delivery, but moral of the story, I love the relationship that Max and her dad have. Yeah, I do think the mom's motivations make an incredible amount of sense. It's clearly coming from a place of love and, you know. And a place from experience. Yeah, yeah. She says at church, like, look at all this that's been provided for us. We couldn't ask for more. And she just wants to make sure that her daughter's looped in on that and that in her own way, she is supporting her, right? It's not necessarily the way Max wants right now, but, you know, she's slapping her name on the salon and trying to set her up for her future as well. I feel like we should maybe mention the uh, convent of it all. I hate you. I misspelled the word convent in my notes and it looked like covenant. And I it was, was like, covenant. It was mom, 100% covenant. You're so mean. <laughs> And so, of course, was Jesse good. was reviewing my notes to just to make sure we were on the same page or, like, at least going to talk about the same things. And he commented on my notes, uh, I think you mean convent? Uh, it's okay, I did not have that tone in a comment. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I do the same to him, so it's okay. It's still rude. Rude. Sometimes um, I put stuff in my notes just to see if you catch it. Yes. Like, re, the, the, um title of the episode being switch hitter and you're like this episode's about brianna (laughs) yes i'm bisexual yes i go quote unquote both ways so i'm a quote unquote switch hitter not my best work but i don't regret it (laughs) and honestly you have this leeway of these terrible jokes because you are i think you mean mediocre jokes (laughs) these aren't terrible okay okay they're like dad joke status but i mean you are a daddy okay no no (laughs) stop what if my mom listens to this okay (laughs) um so night baseball night baseball (laughs) night baseball of it all i do just want to say i love that they had sex in the convent for the first time yes me too that was very poignant I don't think until they like established, oh, we're going to have sex for the first time. I had totally realized that they hadn't already had sex. They had some kind of shed they were sneaking off to, the forest. I don't know. I just was like, oh, it's just cutting away before. I just, yeah, I hadn't, uh, wasn't picking up on that. 
A, maybe people weren't as easy as you are back then. <laughs> B, maybe people aren't as flexible as you are back then. C, it was the 40s. Maybe people needed to be quiet. And so that wasn't the best place. But a convent was better? I don't know. I, when the nun said, you can only speak words of prayer or service, I was like, are they going to coordinate? I don't know. I'm just like, oh, God. Right. I was like, like, yep. That's what I was kind of picturing. I was like, they're just going to say, like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Praise Jesus. Exactly. Praise the Lord. That would have um, been great. We didn't get know. any of that. I know. That would have been pretty funny. Oh well. I was like, this is the most G-rated queer show I have seen. I'm I was low-key expecting like Orange is the New Black. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is tame. But like Orange is the New Black, I'm really hoping for the second season that they build out more of the like B character storylines and shift the focus from Carson and Greta. Cause like not that they're not great, but like I'm hoping it goes that way because I loved so many of the other characters and we did not get a lot of character development in the team members. Yeah, I agree. I'd love to see a little more uh, B character stuff going on. Rating wise, they have room. This is not rated and I don't, Amazon Prime is its own streaming service, right? Mm -hmm. Owned by itself. So just like Netflix and HBO, they can essentially do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is room for them to do exactly what you're asking. So you never know. Who knows? Write Amazon a letter. Mm-hmm. I am a white woman in America. <laughs> That's right. Have a BF. Yes. So night baseball. Night baseball. What kind of shady Patriots football shit is going on in Kenosha? This is <laughs> this basically is deflate gate. Exactly. That whole one left field light going on. It was nice to see the team come together and overcome this, but that was just some shady shit. I agree. I also, though, thought it was weird because the way they were filming it made me think that, yes, something was wrong, but did not make me think that the problem was that light going out. It looked like blindness from lights. Yes. So I thought that was inconsistent, which brings up another pet peeve I have with this show. When the women are hitting and then they cut to where the ball goes it bothers me because the way the ball comes off the bat yep would not result in those hits i noticed the same thing and i'm like you really could have done i feel like you could have done it smoother like so the movie uh, does it way better like they emphasize real ball playing they wouldn't take actresses that couldn't hit and throw and do all of the oh, basics really? yeah oh yeah gina oh. davis everybody okay there's one exception and it's madonna but everybody else had to actually be able to play ball yeah and the show does not uh does not do the same thing it doesn't no they were like hitting it off the inside of the bat and it would like fly into a totally different direction i'm like okay it's fine it's fine some of their yeah some of their <laughs> This is nitpicky, but some of their swings are like just form wise, not how you'd want to swing the bat. Yeah. I also like as a fairly modern baseball player, every time I'm like, get some batting gloves, but batting gloves actually don't come around until the sixties. So it's historically accurate for them to not have batting gloves, but personally I just find myself bothered mm-hmm. <laughs> lack of batting gloves. All the blisters. Oh yeah. And those goofy looking mitts. Mm-hmm. But 
different time and i believe there was a shortage of leather right because of the war so yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i did like how it was lupe and carson that bluffed to get that changed right it's not actually a bluff lupe says that she's had a lot of time to read the rule book on the bench so it's actually true. that's right that's right and i liked because i feel like that was the it's like okay hope we're getting on the same page yep also as the episodes continued i just find lupe so attractive there is like just roberta colindres is gorgeous i agree Lupe is the most sarcastic of everyone on the team, too. When they do room assignments and she gets paired with the other Spanish speaker, she just so dryly goes, oh, wow, how random. And then <laughs> when one of them is talking about, they're talking about the team and someone says, well, every time I'm on a sinking boat, the first thing I do is drop dead weight, trying to be like, you suck and we want to cut you or whatever. And Lupe just goes, how many sinking boats have you been on? Tell me about each one. And just like pauses and waits for her to talk about every sinking boat she's been on. I laughed so hard. I laughed so hard at that because that's how you break that down. Like, (laughs) I loved it. You are that person. Shifting a bit, the emphasis of Clance, uh, that Clance has on her loyalty to Max is what I love. I wrote down, you're going to give the Germans our damn coordinates, aren't you? But I don't have the context for that. But I'm almost positive Mac or Clance also says like you're the person I love the most in the world at some point like I would I would die for you while her husband is literally sitting right next to her yeah he even says I'm standing right here she's like I know (laughs) yes and I was like yes this is the type of friendship that like we need to see because it's also like two women being friends and not being labeled as inverts or as problematic and is supported by the men in their life. Absolutely. I think a lot of older queer movies, like I'm thinking of like an Audrey Hepburn one specifically, there's kind of this idea that like lesbians couldn't have female friendships, right? Which is ridiculous. Um, Yeah. And I think that Max's relationship with Clance is very that, like that is just a good, healthy, best friend friendship, even though Max is queer. So we know this modern modern times we we notice, but it's nice to see it too, especially in flashback stuff because that's that's real life. Mm-hmm. What else are is on your mind? So when Max tries out, mm-hmm. it does not go well. Broke can, my heart. It, yeah, me too. It was tough stuff. And, like, the whole scene, how it goes, is tough, right? It's this slow downhill where your heart is just breaking into a million pieces further and further as things get worse and worse, right? But the walk home where she's just, like, moving her feet, but you can tell that she's, like, barely there because she can just feel her dream just, like, crashing and all these images that she's held on to that, like, motivate her and keep her going are just, like, she's their strength is, is <laughs> dwindling and it's... Oh, it was heartbreaking. I definitely, uh, that one got me as well. Mm-hmm. Did we have any, I don't remember, did we have any voiceover when Max was pitching? No. Like we no, could hear but... her inner thoughts? I don't think so. I just watched okay. it today and I don't, I, I okay. don't have that. That's okay. Um, then the other thing that made me really sad was like, yes, after that walk, I don't think she was walking home. She was walking to Clarence's yeah, yes, to get to comfort. Clarence's. And 
that like the idea of being so consumed in something that you want that you forget about people that you love or you forget about other things going on outside that. And I really felt bad for, for Clance because then we get that really like intimate scene between her and her husband. And it just made me be like, oh, where she's like, what are you afraid of? And the first thing he says is, I'm afraid of losing my glasses. I know. I thought this was so realistic of it would start small and it would it would build to the thing that you are most terrified of and terrified to even say out loud. So it would start with glasses and, and go all the way to like, I'm afraid of dying. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. And like, not for nothing, I thought of this because my wife, wears glasses and has terrible vision and is constantly losing her glasses and I have 2020 vision so I can't relate but like losing your glasses in war is not a small thing you won't be able to see you won't know how long it's going to take for you to get replacements like that's actually yep it's a big likely deal. to wind up getting you killed yep so it sounds small but yes and then just that of losing you and I wrote the draft is the worst Oh yeah, the this Clance and Guy relationship really is the moment where I think the show really sits in how terrible the the war really is. You know, like they're they're kind of it's like peripheral until then, right? And then mm-hmm. when they're sitting in the dark on the floor together, and he is truly terrified, and she's just trying to say whatever she can to build him up because he's mm-hmm. got to go. There's not what what choice do they really have? Yeah. Yeah sad this reminded me of the scene in the movie where the letter comes into the locker room to inform one of them that their husband has died like you know the war is existing around them because there's all this by war bonds and stuff like that but that was the scene where like no tragedy and loss are also simultaneously existing during this once in a lifetime opportunity and that was what this was you're talking about in the film right did I not say that? Because yes, that's what I was talking about. Okay, cool. You may have. I just couldn't okay. couldn't place it in yes. the show, but I could place it in the movie special one. Double check. Yes. Yeah. The the Max, honestly, that entire span, right? Max trying out, the guys being able to hit off her. She's not as good as she thinks. And then trying to turn to Clance for support. And Clance is like, hey, so my husband leaving might die. Can't handle this right now. I thought you were here to support me. Tough stuff. Max doesn't mean to be so self-involved, but... Also, it's the only way to follow your dreams, I feel like, in some ways. So, especially when you have as many things working against you as Max does. So, yeah, lots of heartbreaking scenes at the end of episode four. I agree. But then it ends with a little bit of blackmail. From <laughs> yeah, we Max both had that. And yeah. I was like, yes, I am not above a little bit of leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, especially someone from a marginalized identity using that to gain access to space that someone is much more privileged to be able to access. And so I was waiting because I was like, how are they going to connect these worlds? And they do that through Max and Carson's relationship. And it's just, it's, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. I had the same question because Max's plotline because she's black and can't be on the team is kind of running parallel to the peaches and all the characters on their team. So yeah, it was nice yeah. to see episode four of them kind of branch back together. Like we, they had small run-ins, but nothing really plot wise that was mm-hmm. going to bring them back together. So yeah. yeah. Interested to see how, how they continue to overlap. Yeah. I also love that they did it this way 
because episode one, Carson and Greta and all of the other white women get to be on a baseball team. And episode four has happened and Max is still nowhere near to getting on a baseball team. So I think it really does a great job of highlighting the idea that like, just because we share identities does not mean our experience or our road to success has been the same. Not to mention the things that Max had to go through versus the things the white team had to go through. Like, yeah, they had to get there and they had to make tryouts. Okay, that's two things. Max had to go get a job to even be considered for the team. So she essentially has to like pay to play, whereas the white team is getting paid to play. So vastly, vastly different situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thinking about positionality and like how that relates to even where we are now when we think about like, oh, this is so easy. I did this. Okay. Well, how did your identities enable you to be able to do this? Thinking about the quote from the original, like it's supposed to be hard. Like, yeah, not this hard, but yeah, Yeah. like not not racism hard. (laughs) Yes. Like your hard was fighting with your sister. Mm -hmm. and having to be sexy for men which is shitty but it is you had an opportunity so far do you have a favorite character yeah i mean i don't think this will come as any surprise to anyone but clance is my favorite even though my strong theme is poor fucking max um also love max but clance right especially as a fellow comic book nerd comic book nerd yeah (laughs) uh as a fellow comic book nerd yeah clance is great i i feel like she's never looking out for herself she's Mm -hmm. like she mentioned she's cleaning up after max she's supporting her husband she just i don't know i i love her very much and all Mm -hmm. of her supportiveness and i feel like sorry i interrupt you all the time i will let you finish she's also super funny Yes. Yes. And I think really pretty. Um, Agreed. And I thought it was so going way back to the crab episode when she couldn't get her dress and her hair was all ruined and her husband went into the room and was like, I think you look, I'm completely forgetting the name of the woman he says she looks like, but I think you look like this beautiful woman when you wear this. I was like, yes, a man not being mad, like just being like, I see you. I see how hard you're trying. And Bemi Sola Aiko Mello does a phenomenal job with this character like absolutely we talk about how i'm a love hater but that scene got me when he was just like hey i know this is a struggle i'm gonna build you up and make this decision for you or at least give you a suggestion yeah that was some cute ass shit (laughs) yeah and she like consistently let me solo consistently does such a great job in her scenes and she is a supporting character in essentially a B storyline in a show. And for her to be our standout, I think speaks volumes as to what she brings to the character. And that's not to knock anybody else because there's so many people I love in this show. But like, no, I just would watch a show about her. Oh, yes, absolutely. And we should shout out her accent work. She's actually British. So her American, yeah, her American accent is spot on here. I never would have guessed. Not in the slightest would I have guessed that she is British. Yep. 
God, now I just want to watch more movies with her because I got to hear this and I love a British accent. So I like that. Um, I also think Melanie Field, who plays Joe, is yes. super cute and super pretty and super attractive. I love like her body, her face, her energy, her like quick wittedness, her I don't fucking care, but I also care. Ah, okay. I just need you to hurry up and watch these last few episodes <laughs> so we can really get there. I also like Joe. I find myself being very defensive when Shirley keeps being like, she's queer, she's queer. It's like, okay, chill, and also, who cares? Well, that's our show for today. So thank you for joining us on Queer Watching. If you want to send us an email with recommendations, you can at queerwatching at gmail.com. Again, that's queerwatching at gmail.com. And the second part of A League of Their Own will be coming out a little bit later this week. So stay tuned for Jesse's mind to be blown. Bye. Can't wait. Talk to you later.